Amen. If you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word this day as we begin a new series, as we have just completed the epistle of 1 Peter, and now we move to the greatest sermon. No, not a sermon preached by me, but the greatest sermon ever preached by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Sermon of the Mount, and that is found in Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin reading the first two verses this morning. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed, please be seated. Recently I read this, and I thought it was true and accurate in a classic scene in Western culture. She stands before the microphone, beautiful and poised a finalist in the Miss America contest. The host asks her what she would like to accomplish during her reign, to which she says, I would like to create world peace, solve world hunger, and liberate all the caged parakeets in the world. The author goes, but before we say with a grin on our face, is that it? There is something deeply and uniquely human about what she says, the author goes on. There's woven inside each of us a desire for something more, a craving to be part of something greater, bigger, more profound than our relative meaningless day-to-day existence. Maybe that's why we as human beings want to endeavor, perhaps to climb Everest or to transverse the ocean or accomplish a feat not yet accomplished by a fellow human. Perhaps that's why we get hooked on politics and sports and myriads of causes that give us something to belong to and even fight for. I think those comments, as I mentioned, are right and true because inside of us there is something that desires to be a part of something that matters something that has significance, something that is great, perhaps even something that we can identify ourselves by, something that we can belong to or even, as this is, fight for. All of mankind is in search of significance and of meaning. And yet in our waywardness, in our sins, we have gone in a million different directions. We have searched high and low. We've gone to great lengths and we have exhausted ourselves And yet we have not found what we're looking for. We have not found that which fulfills, that which satisfies. We have not found peace even within ourselves. And as a result, we are largely a depressed and melancholy people. Ever looking, ever searching, and yet never finding. That's why people my age have what's sometimes called midlife crisis, where they go off and do foolish and even sinful things, in a sense just to have a thrill or to have a rush to feel alive, perhaps because what they thought life would be has not turned out that way, or perhaps because they feel trapped or burdened. But could it be because they are looking in all of the wrong places, That they feel and know and sense the need and yet do not know the answer. The problem is 
that they have been looking at everything earthly and yet have not looked heavenward. They have not looked to God. They have not looked to find it in their creator. Rather, they have looked to find it in creation. As Augustine famously quoted, Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. I would say that there are many restless souls this day, even amongst us in this place, even here. Because though we may know the right answer, we may know it's found in our Creator, yet what we cognitively know, too often our hearts and our emotions go astray from it. As the hymn famously put it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Indeed, there are probably no truer words than all of the hymnal than that. And so this morning and for the next several weeks and even months, I want us to come to this sermon, this study, and to begin a search here in what is the longest and most continual and consecutive sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a way, as I mentioned, the greatest sermon that was ever preached. A sermon that both cuts as well as binds up. A sermon that both convicts and finds comfort. And that shows us, I believe, the way to that thing that we are looking for. That thing which is much greater, much bigger than ourselves. A sermon that I think opens up the kingdom of God to us and the king of that kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It connects us truly to that which is greater, to the all-glorious God. And today I want us to just begin to touch the service as a way of introduction for us to see who it is that opens up this greater glory to us. And as we know, it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I want us to see through this sermon who he reveals himself to be. And what I see here, and hopefully you'll see as well, is that we see Jesus the preacher, Jesus the internist, and Jesus the healer. And we'll look at those three points this morning. First, Jesus the preacher and teacher. If we were to take a poll and ask, who do you say Jesus is, we would come up with various answers. Most likely, some of you would say the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, perhaps prophet, healer, miracle worker. But I think what would be missing from that list is preacher. Too often, we do not think of Jesus as a preacher or as a teacher. And yet, I think we are in error in that because I think that was one of the main functions of his ministry. We can go as far as to say that was a priority of his ministry in this life. Next to living a righteous life and dying a substitutionary death, there was no greater work that Jesus engaged in. And what we see in this passage is that crowds began to gather In fact, if you go back into chapter 4, that paragraph right before chapter 5, we see that he went into Galilee. And as a result, great crowds were gathering because it says that he was healing 
every disease, every affliction among the people. And so it says in verse 24 of chapter 4, so his fame spread throughout all Syria. And notice it says they brought to him all the sick, all those afflicted with various diseases, pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Notice here that his fame spread, not so much because of his preaching and teaching, but because of his healing, because he was able to heal every type of affliction, as it says, and as a result, they came. And they came because they saw their physical problems as that which was their greatest need. And here was a man that could solve those problems for them. And so they took all of their sick and diseased and they came. But if you look at the whole of Jesus' ministry, yes, he was willing and glad to heal. But I think we would have to say that the greatest need at least in Jesus' mind, was not their physical healing, not in bringing them back to physical health, but upon that which he was preaching and that which he was teaching to them. In fact, again, I think we see this in chapter 5 in the introduction to this sermon. As it says there, seeing the crowds, notice that the crowds were gathering, No doubt gathering so that he could heal them. But notice what it says here. That the disciples came to him. No doubt the disciples were thinking, okay Jesus, here we are. Here are the crowds. Now get to work. Begin to do what you do. Begin to heal. Begin to uh, bind up. Begin to make these people physically whole. And yet that is not what we read. That is not the response of Jesus when he saw the crowds. Notice it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. And in verse 2 it says, he opened his mouth and he taught them. You might think that the disciples were there to say, wait, Jesus, no. We don't need you to sit down. We need you to stand up. We need you to get going. We need you to take care of these crowds for us. But Jesus does not put the priority here upon healing, but upon that which is coming forth from his mouth, that which is taught, that which is preached. Because, I think, teaching alone through the power of the Holy Spirit can affect the needed change. In fact, the greater change. Because the physical need is that which is only temporary. But the spiritual That is which is eternal and therefore is the greater need. And yet, even as we say that, we have to admit that is difficult for us to think about because we get caught up with the problems in our own life. And most often, those problems are not spiritual problems, are they? They are physical problems. They are problems with our health. Problems with our money, problems with our jobs, problems with our relationships. And those are, in a sense, the blinking red lights, the real need, as we say. But how often does the Lord use those physical needs to point to a greater need, a spiritual need 
that is underlying it or perhaps something that must be taught or perhaps something that must be learned. Too often we go to the Lord with our problems and say, Lord, this is my problem. And the Lord very gently says, yes, that is a problem, but that's not your greatest problem. This is your greater problem. And this is what you need to learn through this physical problem. And I think the Lord is doing that time and time again. He is taking that which is seen to teach us that which is unseen. He's taking physical problems to teach us spiritual lessons, and those spiritual lessons are of greater value, even eternal value. Is that a testimony that you can testify to this morning? I think we can. How many of us have had crisis events, a physical or relational or financially or or social problem, and that problem, that crisis, only revealed really the greater need. The need for Christ, and perhaps through that crisis you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord taught you to trust him more in the circumstances of life, or for you to see all of life from a different perspective. Perhaps that is something that is going on right now. Perhaps you are looking at things wrongly. You're looking at your physical problems when Jesus is gently saying, no, this is actually the greater problem. This is what I want you to learn. This is where you're going to find the cure. And always the cure is coming back to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we need to constantly and continually remember that. We need to remember that in the ministry of the church. That just like the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the church is primarily spiritual, not physical. That's not to mean that we don't neglect the physical. But the physical is always an avenue to the spiritual. The physical is the immediate need, which is the pathway, I think, to the greater need. That was the case for sure here in Galilee. Jesus was using the gathering of the crowds, the healing, to then begin to teach and then to begin to preach. And so perhaps you come this day and say, I need the church because I need help in this problem. And no doubt that's probably true. But I hope that through that problem you'll see that the greater thing you need is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he reveals himself to you through his preaching and through his teaching even this day. For Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, listen to this. Jesus says to his disciples, let us go to the next town. There I may preach also, for this is why I came. Notice, this is why I came, to preach. Jesus was a preacher. And Jesus, in that way, was uniquely qualified to be a preacher. Right? We have preachers today. I'm thankful and grateful to be a preacher of the gospel. But every preacher that has gone on before and every preacher that comes will never be as great as this preacher. Why? Because as much as I am a preacher, as much as I am a pastor, and I would like to be thought of as being sent from God, he was God. As much as I like to preach the word and to preach the word itself, he was the word. 
As much as I've been given this word that is inspired and perfect, every word that came from his lips was inspired and perfect. And as much as I would like to think I know you and know my audience, he created and made his audience and knew them intimately and perfectly well. And so we have here, as I said before, the greatest sermon ever preached because it is the most complete sermon preached not only that day on that mountain. It is a sermon that is still preached to us this day through the Holy Spirit. In that sense, Jesus still preaches and we are still his hearers, just like those hearers that gathered that day on that mountain. So we gather in this place underneath the ministry, underneath the preaching ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is a preacher. And so hear his sermon through the words of Matthew, through this sermon written down for us. Jesus reveals to us, and indeed he is the great and true preacher. Second, Jesus, the internist. Internist, you might say, what do you mean by that? Are you saying that he is a doctor? Well, yes, in a sense he is. As I said before, Jesus was not unconcerned with the physical needs. He was. But he was concerned with the greater needs. And the greater needs was the needs of the heart. Jesus was a searcher and prober of the hearts. And that was very much different than the teachers during his day. John MacArthur writes, for the Pharisees, Jesus was saying that religious is not, religion is not an external observation. To the Sadducees, religion is not human philosophy. To the Essenes, religion is not separating yourself geographically from the world. And to the Zealots, Religion is not social activism. And so Jesus differentiates himself from all of those teachers of the day. And how does he differentiate himself? He differentiates himself because he says it's not of that, but it is of this. And what it is of is of the heart. That the kingdom of God is not external, it's internal. It's not outside, it's inside. And that it's only the Spirit of God that can do a work on the inside. As the entirety of the scripture says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Proverbs says that as face reflects face in the water, so the heart of man reflects the man. Notice that what is inside is that which comes out. And therefore, what needs to be changed is not on the outside, but what's on the inside. And Jesus, through this sermon, gets to the heart. He is that one that can do that heart surgery. Not just change the outside, but change the inside. And that way, he is an internist. He is a heart doctor. He is a heart surgeon. He can only do that which he alone can do. He alone can bring about heart revitalization which we so desperately need. Because spiritually speaking, everyone here, before coming to Christ, has a diseased heart, has a damaged heart. But even more than that, 
has a dead heart, a heart that is spiritually dead, incapable of doing anything good or pleasing to God on their own. And that is each and every one of you. And hopefully you realize that, but perhaps there's some of you that do not. Perhaps you come this day and you might think of yourself as being a good person, a decent human being, a productive part of society. Perhaps you would even go as far to say you're better than most. Perhaps you've been a part of this church for a long time. Or for various reasons you come here today for the first time. It does not matter. What you are in need of is not just some tweaking, not just some improvements, not just some outward conformity. You are in need of an inward heart change. Because the scripture says that the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. You need to go from death to life. You need not just remodeling or renovation. You need revitalization of the heart. And it's only Jesus that can bring that. And that's what he does. Through a sermon like this, he exposes our heart. He, in a sense, cuts us open to do heart surgery. He reveals our false securities. He reveals our false confidences. He reveals that which we are trusting in or taking uh, confidence in. And he exposes our sin and our lack of righteousness. In fact, he exposes our self-righteousness and that we see God as he is. And the eyes of the living God peer down upon us and we are but naked. We are fully exposed. And we realize that all the things that we try to cover ourselves with to make us better than we think we really are is done away with. That those fig leaves that Adam and Eve tried to sew together to put on themselves are the same fig leaves that we try to do of our own self-righteousness. And Jesus, through a sermon like that, takes all of those away. And we come before the Lord naked and ashamed and full of guilt. And each and every one of us must come to that point. Each and every one of us must come to the conviction of our sins. Must sense the penetrating rays of God's holiness upon us and our unworthiness. And we must realize that we come to him not on our terms, but on his alone. But it's there that we have an opportunity for something bigger, something greater. It's there that we have an opportunity for healing. It's there that we can find true and lasting satisfaction and, yes, even happiness. Because Jesus reveals the inner heart and therefore demonstrates to us that which we really need, which is himself. And therefore, we see through this sermon, the third part, Jesus, the healer. That the same Jesus who cuts and slays is the same Jesus who heals and makes whole. As Job says, for though he wounds, he binds up. And though he shatters, his hand heals. And this is where true revitalization begins 
where we go from being dead to being made alive and really beginning to live. And Jesus, I think, through this sermon shows us how to live, how to be healed, how to be made whole. Notice here, just very briefly, that the beginning of this sermon begins with what's called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes comes from the Latin word for blessed, because each of these words begin with that wonderful word, blessed or blessing. If you would look at the Greek, you would see that the meaning of that word literally means to be happy or to be blissful. And that is something that we can relate to, is it not? That is something that makes our ears perk up. When we say, this is the way to happiness, this is the way to bliss, and no doubt when Jesus said that word, his hearers perked up and listened. And in the same way, 2,000 years ago, that still strikes a need, doesn't it? Because we're still in search of happiness. We're still in search of bliss. And the blessing that is promised here is the same blessing that God has in himself. Because this word blessing is used of God. When the apostles say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, they're talking about this blessing. And so what Jesus is saying is that through him, through what he lays out here, we can enter into something that only God has and something that he shares with us as lowly creatures. And yet, it is in this place that we can find wholeness. And it is in this place that we can be made complete. For it is in this place that we can truly be, as it says, blessed. And so as we close this day in anticipation of this sermon, let me ask you, have you experienced that blessing? Have you experienced that wholeness? Have you been made complete? If not, then this word this day is for you and this word in the coming days is for you. And even if you know where this place of blessing is, don't we need to come once again? Not just to find it in parts, but to find it in the whole. To find our identity in this blessing. To find our existence in this place and this place alone. Because I guarantee that you can never have the fullness of it. Yes, you can experience it, but it'll only be greater and greater. The more we come to it, the more we discover. Because if this blessing is of God, then this blessing is infinite. Because our God is infinite. And so there is no limits to the blessing and to the wholeness that he provides. And so in this way, this word is for everyone. This word is for all who have need. As Jesus once said, if anyone thirsts, let him come. If anyone is hungry, come. He says, out of this river will flow the rivers of living water. Here is the answer. That which we've been looking for. That which we've been searching for. Here are the streams of living water for all mankind. For the Christian as well as the non-Christian. Indeed, Jesus knows his audience. 
He knows you and me better than we know ourselves. He knows our hearts. And he gives us the pathway to completion, to be made whole, to be made blessed. And so this is a word that you want to be a part of. And I encourage you, even as we begin, unless providentially hindered, don't miss a week. Because you need this as much as I need this. And you want to bring others in and say, you need to come. You need to hear this. Not because you're coming to hear this red-headed preacher, but because you're hearing the great preacher, the Lord Jesus Christ, and hearing from him, find healing and find blessing. And so let us pray. As we come and we hear, may we hear from Christ. May we be open to his examination. And there may we find that wholeness and that healing that we so desperately need. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would have us to have an eager expectation and anticipation of that which you would do. That which you would do even this day by your Spirit, O God. That you would work in us. That there would be no limits. That there would be no places that we hide or try to close off from you. But Lord, that we would say to you that we are but an open book. Read us. Find any offensive ways in us. And make us whole and complete in Christ. For we pray this in his glorious name. Amen.